shall go before us. Now, think about that line, make us gods that shall go before us. You would think that someone would be like, think about what you just said. Make us gods? Listen, if you can make a god, it's not God. If you can make a god, it's not God. If someone can steal your god, that's not God. If someone could ruin your god, that is not God. But nobody ever said that doing anything other than following the true and living God is logical anyway. If you've ever ridden a horse that refused to follow your lead, that was a stiff-necked animal. That's how God, frustrated and angry, described his people when they'd made a golden calf to worship while Moses was away. As Pastor Daniel will tell us, they turned aside so quickly. And that's a tendency we're all susceptible to. Today, you'll find out how to let God lead. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Golden Calf. This is our third series and our final series here in the book of Exodus. And this series that we're doing called Tabernacle, the focus of chapters 25 to the end of the book of Exodus is really about this portable worship tent, right? And so from chapters 25 through the end of 31, it's all about, these are all the pieces of furniture I want in here. This is how I want you to make it. This is how I want this all arranged. And then chapter 32 shows up and it's very jarring. It's very jarring because what we're going to see is all this amazing stuff is going on. God is revealing a type and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. And all of a sudden, the children of Israel absolutely blow it. Absolutely blow it. In a lot of ways, this is a reminder to what we saw at the very beginning of our Bibles in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, is God is creating everything, and God is saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then chapter 3 is a total train wreck where humanity, Adam and Eve, take it upon themselves to do things their own way to dire consequences. And now we have chapter 25 through 31, and God is saying, I want this thing, I want you to make this thing, and I want it to be used this way. And then all of a sudden, chapter 32, as we're going to see this example of the golden calf, the people take it upon themselves to do it their own way, and once again, to dire consequences. And it's really easy to read in the Bible about the mistakes people make and kind of say, oh, well, oh, if they would only get it. But all the things in the scripture were written for our teaching and our admonition. And if we are willing to be vulnerable with what's in our hearts, we realize that we all do this all the time. That because of the fall of Adam and Eve, because of our desires to do things our own ways, we erect golden calves all over the place. God is doing amazing things. And then we kind of pull things back and we get into the flesh, as they say. We get into our rebellious nature. And before you know it, even though God's been doing all this great stuff, we're off on the side doing our own thing. Idolatry is 
is the sin that feeds all other sins. That's why in the Ten Commandments, the very first one is, don't have any other gods before me. Really, every act of rebellion against God flows from this one thing. Because we say, I would rather worship this other than the true and living God. And so my action plays out as name the action. The reason people struggle with sexual immorality is because they value the feelings of intimacy that they get from another person more than they value the true and living God. Literally every single transgression, every single struggle you and I have, if you trace it all the way back to its root cause, it's idolatry. Because what we believe feeds how we live. And how we live tells us what we believe. How we live tells us what we believe. And so we see ourselves in this account, if we're willing to be honest. And, and listen, we say this here a lot. I'll never get tired of saying this. When I say things like that, the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God already knew that we were idol worshipers. God already knew that you and I, left up to our own devices, are going to run straight away from God. Not run to him, run from him. And so God said, look, because you're running from me, I'm going to run towards you. I'm going to come from heaven in the person of my son, Jesus. I'm going to come live amongst you, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to take you back to myself. So with the reality that idolatry is part of the core struggles that each one of us have, you have to realize that God knew it and he still loved you and that's why he sent Jesus. And all who would put their faith and trust in Jesus and live a life committed to Jesus, that person, that person is forgiven for all of the idolatry that we've ever done or ever will do. That's the Christian message. That we like idolatry and God came to find us as we ran. And I'm grateful that God can run faster than I can. That no matter how hard I try and get away, God's like, no, 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 no. It's like trying to outrun Usain Bolt, you know? It's like, it's not happening, right? The fastest guy in this room is not happening. So let's jump in. Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what, is that, what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, notice what happens. Moses has been on the mountain for some 40 days. And he's been receiving from the Lord. He's been receiving all the details about the tabernacle. And the people were like, man, I don't know what happened to Moses. And so they decide, well, we don't know what happened to that guy. I mean, he's been gone for a long time. And I don't know if he's ever going to come back. And so we need some gods to worship. Now, what's interesting about this is the children of Israel have been out of the land of Egypt for just two months at this point. 
And for the last 400 years, the children of Israel had lived in the midst of a culture that worshipped all sorts of idols. And so even though they had seen God do tremendous things in their midst, with such a great deliverance through the plagues, parting of the Red Sea, you know, he's feeding them with manna from heaven, all these things are going on. Even though they're out of Egypt, Egypt isn't out of them. And I think that's, for some of us, why being consistent in our walk with Jesus, following God is so challenging. Because we spent so much time living in rebellion against God. And even though God has done amazing things in our lives, even though we're not there anymore, there's still that part of us that we can go back there in our hearts right away. And so for the children of Israel, they're like, we don't know what happened to Moses, but we do need some gods. And, you know, God's off talking to this guy. We don't know what happened to him. And we need a God to worship. So really, one of the issues here is a lack of leadership. Aaron should have just been like, you guys, what are you talking about? Right? He should have been like, you, you want me to make you a god to worship? I mean, listen, man, my brother Moses, Yahweh, the I am, like he's here. We don't want to be doing that. But oftentimes when there's a lack of leadership, we get into trouble. Also notice they were impatient. Moses delayed in his return. How often do we get in trouble because of impatience? A lot, right? And we, we all have all the examples from the Bible. You have the example of like Abraham. Remember, God promised Abram and Sarai an offspring. And God took his dear sweet time because God's clock runs on a little different tempo than ours does. And so they're like, oh, I don't know what's going on with the Lord, so we'll help the Lord out. And they came up with this plan for Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, for Abram to marry her and have a child, and end up with Ishmael. But that was never God's plan. They just got impatient. They were thinking, man, the biological clock is ticking. You know, we got to get this thing done soon. And then they start doing things in their own strength. And the children of Israel doing the same thing here. We're like, we don't know where Moses is at. He's delaying his coming. We need to get this thing going now. And I believe that this is a big struggle for us, isn't it? Especially in an immediate culture like the one that we live in. I don't think living in an immediate culture is wrong. I actually quite like it. I like getting my food fast. I like getting my internet and my information really fast. I have no problems with this. I love the fact that I can get on to my computer and I can look at someone across the world on my computer in real time. I mean, that's kind of a crazy, that's like a Jetsons type of thing. It's pretty awesome. But there's always a shadow side, isn't there? And when you live in an immediate culture, oftentimes God's timetable is just different from ours. And we have to be careful when God is delaying to not jump ahead of the Lord and create ourselves a problem. We have to be careful with that. So they come, the people come to Aaron and say, make us gods that shall go before us. Now, think about that line, make us gods that shall go before us. You would think that someone would be like, think about what you just said. Make us gods? Listen, if you can make a God, it's not God. If you can make a God, it's not God. If someone can steal your God, that's not God. If someone could ruin your God, that is not God. But nobody ever said that doing anything other than following the true and living God is logical anyway. So they're like, come on, Aaron, make us 
a God that will go before us. As is Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron, this is an epic failure from Aaron. Moses' brother, whose tribe has already been set apart to be the priestly tribe. Look at what he does. He says, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Now, I know some of you guys are like fashion tip right there, verse 2. The sons had earrings. So I'm just going to leave that out there because I know some of you are like, there it is. Mom, it's okay that I have a big hole in my ear. It's okay. But in that day, the sons wore earrings. Now, he asked for the gold. In verse 3, the people broke off the gold earrings, which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. Aaron received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. And he said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Wow. Wow. He took their gold. He got a tool. He started working it, you know. He ended up making it into a golden calf or a bull, which was a sign of strength and virility in that culture. And he said, okay, Israel, this is your God. This is your God. In direct violation of the second commandment. In direct violation. Now, you might say Aaron should know better, and he should. But the people should know better as well. They saw what had gone on. They saw what was happening. They saw what was happening. And like, this is the God. This is the great I am. This little golden calf that I designed with my little engraver's tool, this is your God. This is the one who delivered you from Egypt. Now, as this continues, look at what happens verse 5. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, to drink and rose up and play. Now, this is what scholars call syncretism to its finest. Syncretism is taking Belief in the true and living God and merging it with whatever the prevailing ideas of the day is. So in a lot of ways, things like we call re the resurrection season, we call it Easter. If you look at the history of Easter and Ishtar, you find that what when they made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, there was already the celebration of Ishtar and they just came and they brought it together and they married them together and said, this is when we're going to this is, we're going to call it Easter. Now, someone's going to say, well, should we not call it Easter anymore? As long as we're focused on the resurrection, I don't care what you call it, to be honest with you. But that's how it happened. Why do we worship Jesus' birth in the wintertime, right around the time of the winter solstice? Did anybody know the day that Jesus was born? Anyone find that in your Bible, December 25th, on the Gregorian calendar? Anybody? Not in there, right? It's not in there. Because sure enough, they wanted to marry what was already the Winter Solstice Festival, and they wanted to put a little Christian spin on it. Now, someone's going to say, well, I don't want to celebrate Christmas then. I think we should celebrate the birth of Jesus every day. But that's what syncretism is. It's taking the ideas of the day and marrying it to biblical realities. And we have to be careful. In every culture, in every generation, we struggle with taking the Jesus stuff and marrying it to the cultural things. 
One of probably the biggest synchronistic issues we have in the West is we marry good old-fashioned materialism to the things of Jesus. You got guys on TV, they're in great suits, they have bad hair. They think they have good hair. I mean, I, you're like, Pastor Daniel, you're not allowed to talk about bad hair. Sorry about it. I repent. But they're up there and they're saying, look, God wants you to be rich. Yeah, in the things of the Spirit. But they don't say that. They say, God wants you just right over the deed to your 1,000 square foot home and God will give you a 3,000 square foot home. And they call it the prosperity gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel was that he who was rich, God became poor, that those of us who were poor could become rich. That's good old-fashioned Western materialism. You just put a little Jesus spin on it, and there's a whole bunch of people like, yeah, yeah, I'm a child of the king. I deserve a palace and a chariot. We have to be careful of syncretism. Because Aaron sees this, he made it, and he's like, man, let's build an altar. This is Yahweh. It's like, you just want someone to be like, uh, no. No, it's not. That's a little golden ear and calf that you made with a little engraving tool. That's all it is. But he's trying to fit it all together. He's trying to make it work. And he's like, listen, the next day they got up, they started making offerings, burn offerings and peace offerings, and they start to celebrate. They start to eat and drink carouse around this, this idol. Now, look at what happens, because God gets upset. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, and brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. So, notice, the Lord is upset now. He's upset, and he said, look, your people. God is disavowing himself to the people. He's saying, the way they are acting is unbecoming. They are not mine. Now, I got to be honest with you. That's a terrifying series of verses, isn't it? Because God is so incensed by the way that they're acting. He's like, this is not good. They are not my people because my people do not act that way. And he goes on so far. He's like, they're stiff-necked. The idea of stiff-necked, it was a farming term. When, when you had an animal that you couldn't steer, it was considered to be stiff-necked. Like, even though you're pulling the rope one way, how many of you gone horseback riding and had a bad experience? Yeah, I did. You go to pull a horse and you go pulling it to the right, it's going to the left, you start getting really nervous because it's a big animal and you're not. Right? That's what stiff-necked is. It's like you're trying to steer it and it won't go. And it won't go. And the Lord is frustrated and he's angry with the people and he's telling Moses, listen, you need to go down there because your people are not doing what they ought to be doing. And you know what's interesting about this? He ends this whole thing. He says, Moses, look, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to get rid of them. Forget this whole Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lineage. It's just going to be the people of Moses. We're going to start over from scratch. Now, you know what's interesting about this? This was not God's heart at all. And we're going to see that what goes on is Moses 
plays the role of the mediator in perfect fashion. God never wanted to wipe the people out. He had made promises to Abraham all the way. But in the midst of the moment of what was going on, God got frustrated with the people. And I believe the reason God allowed his anger to burn was to see, is Moses really the shepherd? Is he really the shepherd? Because you're going to find that Moses is going to intercede and God's going to say, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that. You're right. And not because God is all over the place. There's some scholars who want to say God is like bipolar, that he gets upset, he jumps all over the place. See, realistically, God is God, and so it's hard to understand him in all of his attributes. But God had already made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, everlasting covenants with them. But God knows that Moses is going to shepherd the people by mediating for them. And what's interesting about that is if you fast forward that into the New Testament, where Jesus is the new and better Moses. Although Moses was part of delivering the people, he couldn't bring them into the promised land. Why? Because the law can never bring you to the promised land. Who brings you into the promised land? Joshua, that's right. See, it all fits together. But Moses plays at this juncture the perfect mediator. Look at his intercession in verse 11. Look at what happens. He says this, And Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land I will have spoken of. I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now notice this. This is a four-verse prayer. Although short, it was strong. And we have to be careful not to think that we are heard in our prayers for our many words. Didn't Jesus talk about that? I mean, when Jesus, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, he taught them to pray, and it's like, a five-second prayer. That model prayer, Our Father. Jesus' longest recorded prayer, John 17. You can read it in about a minute and a half. Moses' prayer is short, but strong. And notice, what makes his prayer strong? He prays God's own word back to him. That's what he does. Moses says, Lord, this isn't about the people. This is about you. And I believe that this is a very important lesson for us to learn because oftentimes when we pray, we say, God, I need, I need, I want, I'd like, you need to do. And don't get me wrong, we, we should feel comfortable to come to our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, I'd like you to do these things. But you know what? What we're saying is, Lord, I want my will done. Jesus is... Pastor Daniel began this teaching by describing how people are continually running from God while he is running towards them. Moses was on the mountain and the people immediately turned to other gods. The same can happen when we take our eyes off of Jesus. 
We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will speak about how the promises of God are applied. God made a promise to the children of Israel that didn't go away because the people made a mistake. Because God is faithful. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Tabernacle. Until then, may God bless. Real, Jesus is real. My life is so typical.